0: Should we be training the sellers on the product or should that be pushed to sales engineering org? I don't, I don't know, it's really up to every org to figure that out. But I think if you put the interests of the buyer in in the forefront, they would rather have one person that knows everything they need to get answered or helped with or educated about to get their get their tasks done. And, um, and a lot of orgs do delegate some aspect of demoing um, to the the sellers um, and not just the sales engineers Um, and and then of course there's always the kind of the demo automation platforms like consensus that help with that too but but it's all it's all about trying to get the buyer what they need as soon as possible in the medium that they need and uh, to get their jobs done as quickly as possible
1: basic three that you need uh, in order to have a really top tier sales engineer is a combination of industry acumen. Okay, industry fluency. If you're selling to accountants, you need to know accounting, etc. cetera, right? Um, technical acumen, they have to have the, pro- the deep product technical knowledge. Sometimes that includes coding. Sometimes they have to be an engineer, right? Of some description, whether it's coding or it's communications, whatever it is. And the third one is the soft skills, right? The selling skills.
2: Hi, friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now that was Garen Hess and John Cook. Garen's the founder and CEO of Consensus, and John is the director of demand gen for Consensus. And in our conversation today, we're exploring some of the key findings from Consensus's third annual Sales Engineering Compensation and Workload Report, which digs into all things pre-sales and sales engineering. And we dig into the reasons why, when buyers were spending less time engaging with vendors and pulling them into conversations later in the process, they preferred interactions with sales engineers. We talk about why pre-sales is in greater demand both earlier and later in the buying process and what that says about the role of salespeople in the future. We dive into the interesting data they found in the research, such as the number of demos that SEs do per week, the number of hours they work, We also get an important topic of SE compensation. We look at the factors that consensus surfaced in the research that have the biggest impact on sales engineering compensation, such as size of deals they work on. So we get into all this and much, much more, but before we get to Garen and John, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for that. And hey, let's jump into it. Garen and John, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Andy. It's awesome to be on the show again. Yeah, we've been trying to do this for quite a while.
0: <laughs> yeah, trying to schedule three people <laughs> in one meeting—you'd think wouldn't be terribly hard, given that it's not in an actual physical room.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Considering it's virtual, but it's—it's it's, yeah taking us the better part of nine months to do this. So, <laughs> I'm glad it's worth can. the wait. <laughs> um, I sure hope so. You can you can tell me afterwards whether you think it was or not. So, um, anyway, so for people who maybe aren't familiar with who you, Garen, and you, John, are. uh, Tell us about yourself.
0: Also, uh, I'm the CEO. and This is Garen, by the way. I'm CEO and founder of Consensus. So you can learn more at goconsensus.com. And uh, Consensus is enterprise software that automates product demonstrations for pre-sales and sales teams. So they build an interactive video library of interactive video demos and then the pre-sales team does, and then the, the sales team will send those out and track engagement, discover stakeholders, and that sort of thing. So that's our, our main work, and we focus a lot on uh, enabling and, and helping the sales engineering industry in general get better process and, um, and interface with sales and help sales and pre-sales work together. Um, and technology is the the main way we do that. We do it through a lot of thought leadership too, and that's that's where this topic comes in. And John Cook, who's on the call, has also been uh, he's been instrumental in pulling this survey and report together over the last few years. So I'll let him introduce himself and maybe the survey a little bit.
1: Yeah, you, you bet. So uh, John Cook, I'm the director of communications right now at Consensus, and uh, been with the company for a while. And we we launched this initiative back in 2020. Um,
2: which is uh, an annual report on sort of the state of sales engineering and
1: exactly, exactly. Right, it's right. it, it's the sales engineering compensation and workload report, which is a mouthful for sure. But it really kind of it's very much like a state of pre-sales sort of a report. So uh, we cover everything in the report. That like I said, um, 2020 was the first time we did it. We cover everything from uh, salary, OTE, right on target earnings. Um, whether whether uh, whether people are carrying quota, what kind of quota they're carrying, whether they get options, all that kind of stuff on the, on the, on the compensation side. And then we measure, we also survey everything from the number of hours they work to the number, the percentage of their demos that are unqualified or underqualified, whether they automate where, where they're spending their time and where they would rather their spend, they spend their time, uh, all, all of this, uh, all of this goes into the report, and so it's, it's pretty rich, and it's, uh, it's one of those things where once, um, once you see how extensive it is, the, the immediate reaction we get is, well, can we go deeper, right? Because there's so much here to unpack, and we want to, we want to dive right down to our lookalike audiences of, you know, exactly my industry, et cetera. Mm-hmm. There's a lot there to see.
2: Well, the thing. Yeah, I mean the thing about the report is is it shines a certain light on the selling process and the buying process that's you know different perspective than you know, I think a lot of people probably have. So um, there's so I just want to dive into it. So there's interesting lines sort of up front. And you know, it's quoting from the report. It says buyers were spending less time engaging with vendors and pulling them into conversations later in the process. But when they did engage, they preferred pre-sales interaction so yeah by definition anything that takes place before an order is a pre-sales interaction but i think you have a very specific (laughs) definition of that correct
1: right this is this is uh, this is language that is used it's one of these things where the language kind of defines the tribe if you will uh pre when you say pre-sales to most people, it sounds like, I don't know, like a business development or SDR or something like that, something that happens before they get to sales. But pre-sales is a very specific term used by the solutions consulting slash sales engineering department to refer to themselves. And so um, people who are in pre-sales, they know immediately, and, and it doesn't even sound strange to them, whereas people from outside pre-sales, they got all kinds of strange ideas about what the word means, you know, um, well, not strange ideas, but reasonable ideas about what the word means. Um, but it's very specific. Well, it's to funny because this crowd.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because a lot of people, like you say, think it's SDRs, and it came. It's really old school where it came from because it used to be that in old school technology days, back in the '80s and '90s, right when a lot of the sales engineering started, you do all this sales work up front to show value, and then uh to, to explain the value. And then the pre-sales solution consultant or pre-sales expert the sales engineer would come in and do a demo right as the last thing before closing the sale. It was a demonstration of the capability to actually produce the solution that, you know, the buyer wanted. But that name is <clears> stuck around, even though, um, pre-sales, uh, and, and we'll just call them probably pre-sales and sales engineers throughout this, but you know, sales engineers' role has changed so much over over time, and especially in the last few years. Um, the demand, we've seen it stretch across the entire buying process, across the funnel. And this is one of the reasons that we're so into automation because it's impossible to do everything they're asked to do, and they're getting spread so thin that they're becoming less effective at what they're, they're meant to be doing, which is that consultative discovery and solution uh, consulting Sure. Um, and so that's that's where uh, that's where all of this workload stuff comes in to help try to shine a light on how to do all of this better and, and help help set standards and best practices for for the sales engineering industry.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did <laughs> is or the fact is that at least in my mind is is <laughs> that whether you're a, you know sales engineer, consult you know solutions consultant. Salesperson, yeah. If you're talking to the buyer prior to them buying, it's a sales interaction. I mean, it's not. Of doesn't happen before sales. Uh, but right. I think it's. But I think it's important for uh, the sales engineers and the. And I'm. Sh- I know many of them are are aware of this. And solutions consultants. It. Yeah, they are. They are selling, and that. You know the experience the buyer is having with them is certainly, you know, aggregated into the buyer's opinion of their experiences right. with with the vendor. So yeah, I, mean, I know they yeah. like to sort of hold themselves apart, and there's good reasons for doing that in in many cases. But the fact is, it's all. I think all... they're doing
0: that. Yeah, I think they're doing that less and less these days. There's there's a much tighter collaboration starting to happen, um, and uh, with sales teams and sales engineering teams, and um, and they are they are engaged because they're engaged all throughout the buying process now, um, and, and like you said, the uh, buyers actually have reported they want to spend more time with sales engineers and less time with salespeople, which is interesting because they're all engaged in trying to get the deal done. And speaking of the report and on this, you know, one of the mm-hmm. interesting questions is about the how they're comped and what are they measured on. And it's been interesting to see how there's more and more attention going to measurement of sales engineering on revenue, mm-hmm. um, not just on the technical win or how many demos they do or those kinds right. of things. which uh, should be There's much more alignment. Yeah. And, and yeah. every, and, and most people we are talking to now in the pre-sales world are all, all aligned there, but it's interesting, this dynamic between the sales team and the pre-sales team and how that plays out in different cultures and different, different organizations. Um but that's they're absolutely necessary to get the deal done um but uh quite often <laughs> well, in some organizations they're they're they are kept apart
2: yeah well let's yeah not to get too far ahead of ourselves here but yeah <laughs> to to a point to the point you're making is saying, hey buyers want to spend more time with sales engineers than sellers is really what it's not that what they're saying is we want to spend time with people who can help us get our job done and provide value and yeah. provide value, which is and our job as a buyer is to make a decision. Yep. Right. So yeah. if you, well, a salesperson can't help me get my job done, yeah, I'd rather talk to the sales engineer.
1: Well, it's an interesting thing because there's uh, it's actually evidenced in the buyer journey because when you have, when we say that they'd often rather speak to a sales engineer, if you look at the buyer journey, they go to a website. We know we know from lots of different studies, and Gartner champions this a lot, that buyers are doing much more of their investigative work on their own before they ever interact with vendors, right? I think that Gartner cites yeah. well, I think 17% that's... as the total amount of time they spend with vendors, right? And And then you look at that vendor interaction, and what do they do? They go to the website. And usually the the button that they're going to click on is something like book a demo, right? So who did they want to speak to? And that and that, but that's not the person they got. What they got was a form. Okay, necessary evil. <laughs> they're going to abuse my inbox, but all right, it's, I got it because I need the demo. So I'm going to fill out the form, and then do I get a demo? No, I get an SDR, and the SDR is going to me mm-hmm. a bunch of questions. Am I the am I the decision maker? Do I have the budget? What's the Ryan? Right, right? But the band, the qualification, whatever they're, they're gonna use. And then right. do I get a demo? No, then I don't get a demo. I get a sales rep and the sales rep's gonna talk to me about high level uh, value mm-hmm. ads. And they're gonna further qualify me because they have this limited pool of sales engineers and the, the, the people who actually give the demo, they have this limited pool and they have to throw up these big walls in front of them because they're so stretched. And then I finally, if I jump through all of those hoops, I finally get to the thing I asked for when I click that button. And that's a demo. And, so the, and, and I get to the demo. And then the, the poor sales engineer is going to try and do a good demo. So they're going to try and do a little discovery. And I'm all discovery fatigued out. I don't want to answer any more questions. And so this is when we talk about who the buyer wants to talk to. By the time they get to the point where they're interacting with sales, they're looking oftentimes for a technical proof. And technical proof isn't, because they've already done their research. They know, they've already narrowed you down to the people they think can do it. And so that technical proof is is what's missing for them. Now, it's not the only thing that's missing by any stretch, but it is, it is, it tends to be top of mind.
2: Yeah. Okay. I and mean, there's a lot lots to go back and talk about. I mean, so, yeah, I think, I think there's less of that. Narrowing down that that takes place and people think uh, at, by that stage, but I mean let's 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 go back to sort of the big question, which in my mind the big question, which is okay. Somebody says, yeah, I want to do a demo. They get hit up by an SDR. They get hit up by a salesperson. Pre-qualify, are they qualified for a demo? I hand them over to a sales AE. They'll qualify them again. Just make sure they have the right content in the demo. Whatever. Doesn't it really speak to the fact that we're just not hiring the right type of salespeople. I mean, there's this there's this idea that's you know, persisted for a long time that uh, you know salespeople and you know I rail against this in my book and other places is, is that you know salespeople have to have this hunter or extrovert mentality and reason we need salespeople is because you know the SEs they just don't have the you know. <laughs> they're all nerds. They don't have the human personality to to deal with <laughs> buyers, and it's all that's all bullshit, right? I mean, I've yeah. I've worked with companies where, yeah, I as both a consultant and as a sales leader, I've completely turned over the sales team and hired all engineers,
0: yeah, as sellers, <laughs> right? Because it was it depends
2: it, on the type of seller. Yeah. Well, but it it was a tech, complex technical sales, and it's like well yeah i'm going to have to bring along a sales engineer why not just hire a salesperson in that instance who's yeah my the sales stuff the that's that's the easy stuff people know how to be people so this um, is this
1: is kind of the crux though is is that is there still room for a separation of roles between the sales engineer and the a e right is there still is there the, is that still valid and this is the this is actually the thing that we we doubled down on uh there's a guy on this call named Garen who wrote a book on this uh, the whole concept is that's that, <laughs> is that um, you the the role of it's not just the roles of the SE getting stretched and more in demand it's that the role of the seller is actually changing from this hunter as we uh, as we often think of them to a coach because the buyer journey the real pain the friction, In B2B sales, especially in any time you're buying software for a team, the friction is actually on the buyer's side and in the buyer's org. And that friction is going to be very painful for them. And the seller is the one who has been through this process, knows where that friction is going to come up because they've been through this process. How many times? How many times organizations have they sold into? They know. And so their job is now to coach and enable and reduce friction and prepare and equip, right? And so that, and now can a sales engineer do that? They probably can. A sales engineer has a lot of other things they have to know as well. And so a good buying coach paired with the sales engineer, I think is, is probably where we're, where we're headed, where we should be headed,
2: yeah, but I wonder yeah. whether the buyer the buyer has patience for that coach role.
0: That's well, a great question. I mean, going back to your question, Andy, about this
2: um, role of the
0: of the I mean, how who 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 do we hire? Are we hiring the right types of people? And I, I agree that the idea is to hire people that provide value and get the right people and that doesn't necessarily follow the traditional sales line of thinking. And that's where the coaching comes in. But I, I think there is too much for people to learn to do effectively in many organizations. Not all. Many organizations that could be handled by one. If you have a simplistic product or even some complex products and you're, and you're willing to go through and teach your sales engineers to be the salespeople, but there are also different personalities, which, which is interesting. The sales people tend to be a bit more willing to take risks and have more of their 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 pay, their compensation as variable, and sales engineers, a lot of them kind of drift over into that part of the org um, or attracted that part of the org and that role because they are more risk averse. They want to get in and educate and, and, and be helpful and be part of the sales and get comped on some sales, but but there's, there's that
2: aspect of it. So it is interesting. Um, well, hang on. Before you go on, though, let's yeah. talk about the personality part because, yeah. because, see, I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I'm gonna push back on that because I think that sales engineers historically gravitate over to that side because they don't want to be, they don't a, they don't envision themselves as quote unquote salespeople, and they don't want to be labeled True. as salespeople. And and I talk about this in in my latest book is specifically mm-hmm. is. And that's the point right there is that people don't understand the job of a salesperson. Right? We've we've spent decades trying to you know train and socialize yeah. sellers to think, okay, your job as a salesperson is to go out and persuade somebody to buy yeah. your product that's and a service. Very
0: interesting point,
2: yeah. And and that's not the job at all. Yeah, you know, when you do that, when you when you think your job is to persuade somebody to buy your product yeah. or service. This whole idea of understanding them and the things that are really important to them and what they're doesn't really matter. It's almost immaterial because your job is to persuade them come hell or high water to buy your product. And right. This is what leads to the salesy behaviors that that make sales engineers and customers cringe. Right? I don't want to be that person.
1: all right So would yeah. you argue the that job, there's no place for quota? Then, but the, because... well, but hang
2: on. But the job, the job, the job of a seller is really simple, and it's one that engineers are really good at. That's why I hire engineers into sales. The job as a seller is to listen to the buyer, understand the things that are most important to them in terms of the problems they're facing, the challenges they have, and the outcomes they want to achieve by addressing the challenges, and then help them get that. Yeah, That's what, that's would, what a sales I, job is. And I
0: would add to that that sales job is to do all of those things and then also anticipate all of the challenges that the buyer is going to have to get from point A to point B because the salesperson, and this, and this, whether you're salesperson or sales engineer, you've helped the buyer go through this process dozens of, maybe hundreds of times. This may be the first and only time the buyer is going to go through this journey. They mm-hmm. don't necessarily know all of that. So they need to do sure. all of those things and anticipate. And map out all the potential pitfalls. And then that's where the coaching comes in and say, Hey, here are the tasks from to get from here to where you want to be. We've done this a thousand times with people just like you. And we, here's the map and here's how you get there from, from this point to that point. And by the way, that what I recommend doing right now is this. And we've seen this work really well with other other people and other orgs. Would you be willing to go and do this at this stage? Because this is what I think is going to help us get there. And that's where the coaching comes in. And And you, you asked a question earlier about, well, buyers take the coaching. And in my experience, buyers love the coaching. They crave the coaching. Buyers, they do not know what they're doing. And they sometimes don't admit it because salespeople ask ridiculous questions like, what do you think the next step should be? Well, and the buyer yeah. has literally no idea. They may think they have an idea sometimes but it's almost always wrong and usually they'll come up with something but it's the seller that knows that path and 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 I do agree though that this blending this blurring of sales engineer and sales is an interesting point or question because because the buyers a lot of them don't want to talk to a salesperson at all they they feel like it's a necessary evil but Organizations keep them separate. Who sends the price quote? Sales engineer. Who does the demo? Who does discovery? Sales. I mean, the the salesperson sends the price quote. Sales engineers you know, does the demo. So right, it, it is interesting. It could it could blur into one role. In some ways, it maybe should. But yeah, for for right now, it's it's clearly separated in in most orgs.
2: Yeah, and I think for because we're talking primarily software here, and so we'll yeah. sort of stick with this as an example. But yeah, I mean, I see sales engineers in organizations where, yeah, quite honestly, the product's not very difficult and not very complex. And right. it's it's a it's a crime that and somehow an a, AE punts the demo to to uh, you know a sales engineer because right. what they're doing is they're they're not learning what they need to learn about the customer and the product and how the product serves provides value to the customer and so on. If they're just Handing it off. Well it's I mean, one I, of those I,
0: challenges. I, yeah. I was just gonna say it's one of those challenges in our org because our prop platform is fairly straightforward. It's delivers a lot of value but not super complicated. And so if we're selling into sales engineering, but do we have sales engineers? Well, we actually have one now. Well, why? Why do we have one? Our platform, our salespeople do the demos. Our salespeople do a lot of the same things that the mm-hmm. sales engineers would typically do. Because precisely for what you said, our solution is not, we don't have 20 product lines and you know, all these things. But we have a sales engineer now who helps with integrations and you know, kind right. of moving past into the very complex part of how do we get this tied into all these other integration systems, integrated systems. Right. But yeah, I think in many orgs you don't need sales engineers um, or salespeople differentiation uh, in titles. You just need somebody to help the customer, the buyer get what they need. To,
2: to your point. Well, right. <laughs> so, but this is this is the, this is one of the key points, and I raise this all the time here, talking to sales leaders, especially in the last year or two. It's like, okay you're a sales leader and you're putting together a job description for a position that you want to fill. Sales role. And, you know, you put the usual crap in there, right? Hunter, Blackstower, blah, 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 blah. And I'll ask him, I say, okay, well, interesting. So, have you asked your buyers what they need from your sellers in order to get their job done? Have you ever asked your buyers what they, I mean, think about it from the context of you know, buyers are basically, you know, I like this whole jobs to be done theory, right? buyers mm-hmm. are hiring sellers yeah. to help them help them get do job their done. job. Yep. Right. So yep. if that's the case, what, what attributes, what qualifications, what experiences, not that you need as a selling organization, what does a buyer need from you?
1: What you seem to be arguing then is not that sales engineers are not who people want to talk to, but that rather you should just have sales engineers. Like there's, it, it, there's, um, when we talk about sales engineers and what makes a good one, we talk about a three legged stool. Okay. And, 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 uh, it may be an oversimplification. There's some nuance here, obviously. Okay. But the basic three that you need, um, uh, in order to have a really top tier sales engineer is a combination of industry acumen. Okay. Industry fluency. If you're selling to accountants, you need to know mm-hmm. accounting, et cetera. Right. Um, right. Technical acumen—they have to have the, pro- the deep product technical knowledge. Sometimes that includes coding. Sometimes they have to be an engineer, right, of some description, whether it's coding or it's communications, whatever it is. And the third one is the soft skills, right—the selling skills—and and so it, if you're talking about what the customer needs, that combination of industry fluency, so they can speak to their precise needs with the technical yeah, acumen.
2: Sounds like you just described a salesperson. Person. I mean, <laughs> and yeah. I mean, but product sure, fluency, and yet,
1: right? <laughs> you,
2: Andy, Andy, do
0: you expect a a salesperson at, let's say, Salesforce to know the product, you know, on all the product lines? And I guess that's where I'm wondering. Uh, certainly well, for no, smaller, but orders, they don't make sense,
2: but they don't they don't sell the entire product line either. But you're right. There's certain times when yes, the the product rises sufficient complexity. You need to have sales engineering, for yeah. sure. I'm not, but it's it's. Because yeah, the the salesperson won't necessarily have that in-depth knowledge, but I can guarantee, when it's a really complex product, the seller know is pretty damn well versed about the product and the industry and so on, because they couldn't have any conversation with the yeah, buyer. Yeah, they're going to right. have to acumen and like you're saying. Yeah, the buyers yeah, going to say, you're just not worth time at all. Right? Why should yeah. I invest my time in you? You you don't know not you don't know anything. I mean, this it gets back to this idea that people talk about. So openly these days, which I think is is wrong, which is that buyers don't want to talk to salespeople. It's, it's, yeah, they've well, never wanted to talk to a salesperson, right? Suffix that with I mean, as, as presently as, constituted But they, but they need <laughs> No, but but the fact is they need to talk to salespeople. They need to talk to a sales engineer. They need to talk to somebody in sales because they need somebody to come ask them the questions they don't know to ask themselves, right? Well I, I wanna mean, I wanna point out
0: an interesting a data point from the report that goes right into what we're related to what we're talking about here. Sales engineers sometimes think we could, you know, we're the ones who actually do all the hard work and the salespeople, <laughs> you know, they, they sure. show up and they glad hand and they get the commission check. And then salespeople right. on the converse side think, Oh, you know, the necessary evil of having to get sales engineer, they're never available. And I mean, if only I didn't have to get a sales engineer involved, I could get this deal done anytime. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of – one interesting data point from this uh, sales engineering workload report is we asked this question about stakeholders. How many stakeholders are in a deal? And what's fascinating is we asked both – I mean, uh, the the data coming back from from both sales engineers and salespeople is quite different. Um, And and so the sales engineers, for example, report 4.8 stakeholders, and AEs are reporting about 11 stakeholders, which is right in line with what Gartner and some of these other – organizations are saying. And it just goes to show that the sales engineers don't fully understand all of the complexity that's going on outside of the technical discussions, outside of the solution part. Um, the, the salespeople are aware, oh, there are 11 stakeholders out here that I've got to go work with and, and interact with and bring in in one way or another. And the sales engineers aren't always engaged in that. And so um, you see from some of this data, it's, it's, interesting. You see just some of these differences of perspectives, um, of how, how the, the deals are even viewed because you just imagine if a sales engineer is viewing a deal and thinking there's only five people that need to, to get involved to, to get the deal done. And the salesperson thinks there's 11, you know, it's just such a, a huge difference. Um, so to me, it just shows that there is, there is value being provided from both sides of the house, um, uh, on those on those deals at least on those complex on those complex deals when, when you do have those a lot of those stakeholders getting involved
2: yeah no abs- absolutely um yeah I was just sort of thinking about that cuz I made a note about that part from your report is 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 <laughs> yeah <clears throat> there's a there's big variance there's big variances i think in general between even what sellers think in terms of number of stakeholders involved and what the analysts believe. Right. And so, yeah, I, I think I'm sort of reached a the point where I think the analysts numbers are so overblown that, that they're starting to lose credibility. Um, but yeah, nonetheless.
0: Nonetheless, yeah, there are a lot of stakeholders, but I, I guess yes. my point is not how many, you know, what's the right number of stakeholders, but just that there's a, a difference in perspective of, Two X between the sales engineer and the and the, yeah. the account well, I think they get shielded. Right?
2: They get shielded from some of that, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I think that's that's part of it. is, is they've got a, a more limited scope they're afforded by the seller, and to a point you made before is is I think the astute sellers that are, you know the deal coaches or however you are calling them is is they're making sure they're making sure the SEs understand what's really going on, right? And that they're involved, and not just you know, relegated to this small part of the deal, but they understand the bigger picture, because yeah. they have a contribution to make on the bigger picture.
1: But then, but then you have the problem. One thing I was going to mention of, is, sorry, sorry, just real quick. Then you have the problem of yep. of uh, strained resources, right? So we're going to involve the sales engineer more intimately more kind of joined at the hip throughout the, the selling process, maybe not entirely joined at the hip, but we're going to have, give them a bigger role in every sale, right? And that's going to be a better experience for the, um, for the customer. It's going to be a better, better experience all around. We're going to close more deals cause it's going to, it's, it's just a better way to, to work the sale. But that one sales engineer, according to our numbers, serves on average, supports on average four different account executives. Mm-hmm. I mean, we get up above 15 to 1 in many orgs. Like, oh, yeah. there's, yeah. And so, so now you've got to... Now you've got a bit of a misalignment, right? Well, you've got... In order to affect that kind of buyer journey and buyer experience, now we need to move more toward maybe a one-to-one ratio, right? We need more, just as many sales engineers as we have account executives. And, well, that's going to directly inflate CAC, right? So if I'm... If I'm in the C-suite, I'm looking at that, at that number. And my sales engineers, by the way, are expensive. And by the way, they take on average six months to onboard. Six months versus, say, growing a sales team. And Well,
2: how long do you think a salesperson takes?
1: Uh, not as long. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because yeah, they, uh, they... Okay, we they, have whole, they, we're in a
2: whole different conversation about that.
1: <laughs> just because sales skills are so transferable... Um, whereas their whole technical acumen side, the whole product knowledge side is one of those legs of that stool is very often not transferable. Right. And so, so how long does it take
2: a seller? Do they learn faster than a sales engineer?
1: They just have different things to learn. I think was the only point I was making. They, they they have let, they have more transferable skills as opposed to a sales engineer that has to learn everything new with a new product oftentimes.
2: Well, but I think that was what we were talking about before. Is if we go in this with the assumption that, that know, the we're sales, just going to superficial, right. we're going to superficially train our sellers on our product. Um, right. Right. Exactly. I, I think a, which is the exact question the should we oftentimes. be
0: training sellers on the product or not? Right. It's like, should we be training the sellers on the product or should that be pushed to sales engineering org? I don't. I don't know. It's really up to every org to figure that out. But I think if you put the interests of the buyer in in the forefront they would rather have one person that knows everything they need to get answered or helped with or educated about to get their, get their tasks done. Yeah. And, um, and a lot of orgs do delegate some aspect of demoing um, to the, the sellers um, and not just the sales engineers. Um, And, and then of course there's always the kind of the demo automation platforms like consensus that help with that too. But, but it's all, it's all about, Trying to get the buyer what they need as soon as possible in the medium that they need and um, to get their jobs done as quickly as possible. Um, and, and I think sellers more than sales engineers are perhaps more positioned to be that buying coach in some ways because they are aware of all those stakeholders and sales engineers maybe are not. On the flip side, sales engineers traditionally... Are, um, and whether or not they should or shouldn't, I mean, salespeople should or shouldn't be, but they're traditionally more solution-oriented as a rule of thumb. At least this is how they think of themselves. Now, you could argue whether it's mm-hmm. true or not, but sales engineers think of themselves as more solution-oriented than the sales side of the of the equation. And, uh, and so they both have a role to play in this buying coaching, but if you're going to try to pull all the pieces together from different, all these different stakeholders, you know, so far it's looking like the sales engineers are not fully aware of all that complexity and it's the sales people that have to be that that buying coach um, but but we're seeing more and more that sales engineers as they embrace this concept of buyer enablement are able to play a more strategic part in the the deals they're working on with their their sales counterparts and um, and not only that but even take some of these concepts of buyer enablement out into the org with more, um, strategic influence, um, in, into other parts of the org. Um, and so I think, I think all this, whatever you want to call it, buyer centric selling and approach, and we call that buyer enablement from our, mm-hmm. our standpoint, that, that is fundamentally helping move the, move the, uh, the processes and approaches and models and things together in a way that it should help the buyer. But it'll be interesting to see whether it ends up merging entirely at some point.
2: Yeah. Well, I guess that sort of begs the question, is is does it? Because at least in the SaaS world, and this is not exclusively in the SaaS world, I mean, a uh, study that was done, that they reported on in um, a new book from Jennifer Colosimo at Franklin Covey, you know, they researched or surveyed 14,000, 14,500 companies, uh, enterprises around the world, buyers, and, and sales organizations. It was like, on, remember this correctly, for deals 100K or higher, ACV 100K or higher, 17% win rate. On average, companies That's report pretty, and, pretty low. <laughs> and in the SaaS world, twenty percent is considered acceptable, and if not good in some companies. Um, so, yeah, you know, when win rates are are hovering so low, and this is one of my favorite topics to get into. Yeah, are sales engineers really helping? Or would it be worse if sales engineers weren't involved? Um I mean are we really you know because we're talking about being buyer centric is is you know, are we doing what we really need to be doing as sellers to yeah. align with the buyer and how they make decisions and to a point you made before, I think Garen was you know talking about uh, you know, using the term buyer enablement, and Gartner came up with that in their buyer enablement study that they did with their famous buyer journey diagram, yep you know their spaghetti diagram. Which I found accurate and reflecting of my experience over decades of selling large complex enterprise systems. Um, yeah, I haven't talked to a single sales organization in the last three years or four years since Bart- Gartner put that out who said, oh yeah, you know, we've really realigned how we're selling to engage with the buyers based on you know, how the buyers are making decisions. Well, let me uh,
0: share. Our experience is that it's 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 this con- these concepts are making a fundamental difference. So an example, I'll just shout out mm-hmm. to Todd Jansen. He's the head of what's called Q Branch at Salesforce. And he, uh,
2: I, I guess if you
0: don't mind, um, and since it's been mentioned, I'll mention the book I published was called Selling is Hard, Buying is Hard. Oh, no, absolutely. Go ahead. A couple, of, a couple of years ago. Say it again. I, anyway, I was talking over you. Yeah, so it's called Selling is Hard, Buying is Harder, which is a bit mm-hmm. of a controversial title, you know, kind of because That's selling is books. very difficult, but the idea is, you know, it's harder for the buyer because they are only doing it once. As a seller, selling is really hard, but we get to practice it all day long. So we've got to help them figure out how to get through this. In any case, Todd Jansen over there read this book, and it's built based on a ton of research, including Gartner and lots of other sources. Mm-hmm. And for him, that fundamentally shifted a bunch of things, um, and and he went on a war path to try to change. The way selling is happening inside Salesforce, and is actually making a pretty strong headwinds. And they are, they are, and you know, you can imagine a huge organization with over 100,000 mm-hmm. employees making this change would be very difficult. But, um, and so, I, I think that some people are I just look at that and say, "Yeah, you're right. It's complex. It's difficult. You know, oh well, what can we do?" But some people are taking taking this as a war cry to fundamentally change how sales organizations engage with the buyers. And as as just a simple example, there's a little concept that we call selling in the gaps, uh, which is Mm -hmm. something we talk to our customers about, which is basically what are you doing between meetings? what what, What are you providing in the spaces between the meetings and, and even before that first meeting, like how do you, how do you engage as many of those stakeholders before that first call and, 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 and through all this process, of course, shorten the sales cycle. Right. It's not just about how do I become, a you know, on the calls? How do I be a better buyer coach? It's a, it's a complete transformation of, of understanding deeply what the buyer needs to get done, understanding deeply that they have no idea really how to do it, or at least they, they're naive about it. Let's put it that way. And then being able to adapt your org and your, your sales motion um, in a way that it becomes a focus on the buying motion and, and, and it's greasing the skids, right? It's like, how do we get them through this process as quickly and easily as possible because buying enterprise software right now is painful. It's slow and it's so complex and, and it really should be, it should be simple, pleasant and fast, right? At least faster. And, and so, Mm. I really, I've seen some organizations to the point where some people actually are getting their titles changed. Like we have two two customers where they they were heads of pre-sales, now they've right. been promoted to global head of buyer enablement. Like it's mm-hmm. so it's it's taking hold in some organizations where they are catching this vision that if we just focus on what the buyer needs and do everything, starting even in marketing, marketing all the way through client success just focus on what the buyer needs and how to get it to them as quickly as possible in a prescriptive sort of way, it can change everything. Um, So I, I, I guess I would just beg to differ that that it's not the graphic, you know, that Gartner came out has changed everything, but I do believe that, that some organizations are, are catching the vision of what's possible and and trying to make big shifts and and, and that Gartner analysis, which, which is, is great. Part no, of I'm
2: it. I'm happy to hear that because I, I, like I said I hadn't encountered any myself. That doesn't mean there aren't any, but it's it's still so I would say I argue so small numbers. Oh, so I mean, it's in early it's my, early days. Yeah, in research for my book, you know I I did a lot of research online about selling process, buying process, and so on, and <laughs> and there's always been this, you know, mythology of the modern sales process. And even when you do a lot of research on that, you find out, well, oh gosh, the modern sales process is really the old sales process, just with technology put on top of it, right? I mean, it's all yeah, very in a got lot of ways, linear, yeah. linear stage-based yeah. processes. We lay out that we're going to automate some of this. We're
0: going to get yeah, AI I mean, on this it, part, analyze this, yeah.
2: right? But you look at the stages, right? Right. They have sales stages they define, which, to your point about being buyer centric, buyers don't think in those stages. No, they don't.
0: So, so, so or as do long do they as think seller, of marketing or selling? It's like they don't well, think about right, marketing as them, long, been selling them.
2: Right, I mean, as long as buyers and sellers are thinking about the same process with two different vocabularies and two different intents, uh, totally agree. Uh, it's probably problematic. Odds. Boom. Totally agree. Right. from the beginning. So I yeah, I part of what I'm and i you know fundamentally like that the gartner buyer enablement diagram because i think it's a yeah. very accurate re- reflection of what happens but i think there's a way to simplify some of that even and i i like to put together what i think is a buying process that really just has three steps in it and I, this is what i think my again my experience many many years buyers basically go through is is they've got a I call it the what stage, the how stage, and the who stage. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And the what stage is just what's our problem and our challenges, and what can we achieve by addressing them? What are the outcomes we can achieve? And when they're in that stage, they're not looking at products necessarily. They're not looking at vendors per se. It's about ideas, right? It's defining what the challenges they face are, and they need outsiders to come in and help them ask questions so they can think more deeply and broadly about it and the outcomes they can achieve. And then, and this is sort of reflected in the Gartner diagram, the sort of jobs to be done at the middle of it. Then the next stage is how. Okay, we defined what we want to do. Now we're going to go in the market more intently than we've been doing some before, but more intently and try to understand how we can accomplish these things that we need to accomplish. Then they really do need the help of, of sellers at that point, right? Because they need to understand yeah how they can get this accomplished. And well,
1: you could argue. I, I mean, you could argue that what they actually go to at that point is uh, is a peer. Anybody ever solved this? How did you do it? Sure. Right.
2: Well, they so- go to the market.
1: What are the tools? tools? The, well, the websites, we look at this. All those resources. We and the other, right? And, the, and so exactly. they're going to go through – they're going to they're going to go as long as they possibly can <laughs> before they say, okay, I hear these tools. These, these are the ones that I think I need to implement in order – something like this. So now it's time to talk to vendors. And so – Yeah. No, you I agree. know what I mean?
2: Yeah, no. I think they divided it, and I said three very simple stages: what, how, and the third—the third order decision, which frustrates salespeople, is who we can do this with. That's sort of the least important of the decisions they have to make. But sellers come in for the most part thinking that that's the most important thing. The buyers are focused on, and it's really not.
1: That's right. There are probably several different ways they can solve their problem. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, they, just, they need to understand the problem first. I mean, I can try to think of any major, and you know, I've sold, again, sold large, complex systems, seven, eight, nine-figure deals. The buyer had an idea of what they wanted to do when we first were engaging, but we knew we were going to lose and we'd never win the deal if we didn't have an impact on their thinking about what the challenges they had and what they thought they could accomplish. Right? That's part of your job, a seller.
1: Framing. Ask the right right. questions,
2: provide the right insights, shape the conversation. It has nothing to do with product. And I mean the lesson for me it was great because I was working for companies that we oftentimes didn't have products. (laughs) We were selling things that were to be designed. So yeah. I mean I think that this is where it's so critical for sellers to really understand what buyers are doing and where they are at each stage of their their process and what their mindset is focused on. And it's not them and their products initially. (laughs) No, no, it's definitely not. Yeah, in fact,
0: one of the things I like to advocate for is changing your CRM to have buying stages rather than selling stages. Yep. Yep. and, and we have a report that we do inside Consensus with our own selling where um, we measure, this is for forecasting, we measure the likelihood right. of a deal based on what the buyer actually does rather than what the salesperson has done or what the salesperson says. So if the buyer has done these five things, including you know engaging these stakeholders, they've done whatever mm-hmm. it might be, mm-hmm. um, then they get a certain... Score, right. And so often, and this is where I think a lot of a lot of sales teams do their deal reviews right from a selling centric perspective. Where if you if you just that there's this great story um, from this book called uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, mm-hmm. um, where uh, Ben Horowitz, who's the author, was talking about his VP of sales in one of the companies that he owned at the time was doing this deal review and. And he's saying, hey, tell me about this deal. And the, and the salesperson says, well, we got the champion, you know, we got him. He's super excited. We have this and we have that. And he, they looked at the quote. He told us they liked the price quote. He went on and I said, I, we're, we're definitely going to close this. And the VP of sales said, uh, have you spoken with the head of IT over there? And he said, no. He said, my champion says he likes it, but... He, you know, I haven't spoken with him. He said, and, and the story, I won't quote it because it, it's a, not airworthy the way it was told. But um, he basically says, you don't have a deal, right? Mm-hmm. If you think you have this deal, you don't have it. And um, it's because in, in that VP of sales mind, he knew that the buyer needed to go get that IT on a call with the seller. They'd, they'd known that this was part of the I guess an indicator of of what of likelihood to close in this particular company, um, and without that, it wasn't going to happen. And the buyer right. can say people are excited or whatever it is, but until that the buyer, or certain stakeholders on the buying group take those actions, then you know you can't forecast it in that company. I thought that was a really interesting story, and that wasn't his point when he was telling the story. It wasn't even about that, but uh, I thought it was an interesting story because it shows that. They that that VP of sales had a deep understanding of what are the buyers and the and the different stakeholders because mm-hmm. they're all buyers even though we you know think of the main champion as the buyer right but what are what do the buyers have to do what actions do they have to take to to actually get the deal done and the more you can measure that um and and the more predictable your sales are going to be
2: mm mm-hmm. no I think it's a great a great story I mean this type of stuff that needs to be shared obviously internally. Yeah. Um, but I mean I've got yeah, I've got one of my own that I drew up over the years, which was for at least for the businesses I was in, is is if the buyer, again collectively, the buyer, hadn't done their internal business justification yep. on the purchase. It, <laughs> yeah, likely to close next to nil. A deal. Yeah. Next to nil, right? Yeah. You're more likely to get a no decision at that yeah. point. If it gotten so far down the line where the buyer hadn't done that, then yeah, you weren't going to get a decision.
0: Yeah.
2: And for me, that was just one of those things, right? You knew that uh, based on experiences that had to take place. We have I mean, to because talk that about that meant if it wasn't taking place, it means no one no one internally, none of the stakeholders willing to put their butts on the line to say this is something we should do and here's the reason why.
1: And that's right. the and that's the big telling factor is if they're willing to take the risk. Are they willing to take a yeah, risk? The risk? Yeah the risk. Yeah. In order to Well
2: and that becomes, as you know, that's a big part of selling. How do you de risk opportunities for the buyers? All right. Well guys, thank you so much. And we didn't cover everything I wanted to cover, but um yeah, tell people about the report and where they can get it, because I think there's a lot of great data in there.
1: John, go ahead. Absolutely. So uh goconsensus.com under resources at the top, you'll see the Sales Engineering Compensation and Workload Report. The uh, the latest is the 2022 and look for 2023 edition out in January.
2: Perfect. All right. And individually, if people want to connect with you, Garen? Yeah, you can
0: reach out on LinkedIn. Happy to connect. And um, and you can always reach out on, on uh, our website as well, just if you want to reach out that way. But, um, yeah, thanks for having us on the show, Andy. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, great to talk to you again. Yeah,
2: likewise. And, John, if you want to connect with you.
1: Absolutely. LinkedIn, I'm 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 a connecting fool on LinkedIn, so go ahead and hit me up, and I'm, I'm, happy, to, <laughs> I'm happy to chat. We talk a go. lot about pre-sales. We talk a lot about... Uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm really passionate about it. I love the controversial stuff, and I'm sure I, we can stir up some trouble together. So, yeah. All
2: right. <laughs> perfect. All right, gentlemen, thank you. Hey, thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of this show. And I want to thank our guests, Garen Hess and John Cook, for sharing their insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So, thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.